Why do we need apologetics? That's coming up next right here on The Parker J. Cole Show. And welcome to the Parker J. Cole Show. I'm your host, the Queen Parker J. Thank you so much for joining me. Today, we're going to be talking to my guest co-host and contributor today, Claire Williams. She's all the way from the UK, from the Oxford Center for Christian Apologetics. I can't wait to introduce you to her in just a few moments. As always, I want to thank our Patreon team for their support. We have been showcasing Christian authors worldwide for the past nine years. And as God gives us grace, we'll continue to do so. To find out how you can help out, simply go to patreon.com slash write stuff and see what you can do. And as always, we covet your prayers. To stay up to date with PJC Media, simply go to pjcmedia.net. Click on that pink follow button and you'll never, ever have to miss a show. And so without further ado, I'm going to bring Claire on board. Claire, how are you doing today? Hey, Paco. I am so excited. You took time out of your busy schedule to be here with us. I do not take it lightly, and I can't wait to introduce you to our listeners today. Thank you so much for the invitation. Let me read Claire's bio from the Oxford Center for Christian Apologetics. Claire Williams is a speaker and tutor at OCCA, the Oxford Center for Christian Apologetics. Her work focuses upon questions of race, justice, and culture, and what the Christian message has to offer these contested issues. Prior to her work in apologetics, she was an English teacher in London Secondary School for 10 years. Claire has a degree in English language and literature from Oxford University and master's in leadership and culture, diaspora, and ethnicity from the University of London. Claire lives in Hampshire with her family. Claire, when I read that bio, I'm just amazed that you took time to be here with me. I almost feel as if this is a small, tiny little speck in your repertoire. So I'm just glad to have you. Not at all. Thank you so much. Thank you. The way we connected was through my agent. Her name is Vanessa Grasset, and she said, you should probably have Claire on your show. And I said, if you say it, so shall it be. So I'll out to you. But at the time, you were doing work, and you work as an apologist. And so someone may be saying, well, I thought apologetics was people simply arguing with each other. But we want to get a more refined, clear definition of what apologetics is. So go ahead and expand on that for us. Sure. So... Apologetics can be combative, it can be argumentative, and I do think it's got a bad rap sometimes over the years. But the scriptural mandate I would take for apologetics is 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to give an answer uh, to anyone who asks you for the hope that you have. And then verse 16 continues, but do this with gentleness and respect. And I believe that word or the phrase answer, the Greek word for that is apologia, which means reasoned defense. So, for instance, as a Christian, if I say to someone, if someone says to me, oh, Claire, how can you be a Christian? Why do you think that Christianity is true, for instance? And I say, well, the Bible says so. That may well be true that the Bible does say so. But if the Bible is not a credible source for the person asking me the question, then that has no effect. So when you're giving a reasoned defense for your faith, you are looking at whatever the objection might be to someone's faith. And in this case, it would be uh, the Bible. And what I would do is use different evidences, different sources to show that the Bible can be a credible document, okay, and then from that build the case for Christianity. So apologetics is about giving a reasoned defense of your faith, drawing upon a variety of disciplines 
to build a case for the Christian faith. What I like about your response is that you don't try to meet the person where you're coming from. You want to meet the person from where they're coming from. Now, back in the day, this would have been seen as something you should not do because the Bible in a pre-modern world was a reliable source of doctrine. But nowadays, it's highly contested for many different reasons. And so what you're practicing is what form of apologetics? Would you say it's presuppositional, classical? What would you call it? <laughs> See, I have some issues with some of those types of apologetics. I would say I'm more of a cultural apologist. So looking at questions and objections that the culture raises and meeting people's needs there. That's what I would say. I think it's fascinating that you said cultural apologetics is not a term I'm familiar with. When I was into apologetics, there was a big, huge thing about evidential apologetics, historical apologetics, presuppositional apologetics, and then classical apologetics. Yeah, the five views, yeah. Yeah. So now you're in cultural apologetics, and I'm not familiar with that. So let's go ahead and expand on that for our listeners. So I guess, you you know, for instance, you mentioned historical apologetics, for instance. You were using a variety of means to do exactly what you said, which is to meet the person where they are. So someone asked me, oh, what's the best argument for God's existence? I can't really answer that question, and I think it was John Lennox a great Christian apologist and professor of mathematics, emeritus professor of mathematics at Oxford University, he says, I can't give an answer to that question because what's the most compelling argument for you might not be for me. So if someone has a mind that is scientific and uh, they're very much into logic and reason, and I come to them with an argument for God's existence about, I don't know, human dignity or um, objective morality, that might not do it for them. They might want to know about the cosmological argument for God's existence or the idea that, you know, why do we have, why does the universe exist in the first place? So as a cultural apologist, I think I'm looking, always trying to engage with, read the culture, what is the hot button issue at the moment? And then where does that, how does that point to the truth and the beauty of the gospel? So I'm sure we'll get into this, but we know that justice in many different forms is high upon so many people's agenda. How does the, Rather than always looking at the particular justice issue someone's looking at, we ask a meta question, why do we actually care about justice in the first place? Um, Unpacking that answer points to God. So for me, a cultural apologetist would take a cumulative case for the gospel. So drawing upon philosophy, drawing upon uh, the sciences, drawing upon beauty, drawing upon um, aesthetics, you know, the historical Jesus, historicity of the Bible, all of these tools a part of making this cumulative case for Christianity. Fascinating that you use that term, and I'm really glad that you expanded on what we can expect when we are coming at people in this direction. One thing that drew me to apologetics was scientific apologetics, which is evidential, was because back in a thousand years ago, I won't say how old I was, but back then I was actually working a midnight job. I was working a midnight shift and this atheist, I don't know how we got started on the subject, but we were outside of the pharmacy where I worked at for three hours. So from three o'clock in the morning to six o'clock in the morning, we're not necessarily arguing, but we're discussing things. And at the time, I did not have the answers to the questions he asked maybe because I grew up with a very simplistic view of faith. And I grew up in church all the time. And whatever God said, God said, it was very easy for me to fall into that. So when I got into apologetics, 
instead of running away from the faith, I wanted to know how can I answer this guy's questions? Because at the time, I did not know how to answer them, which is why I always will advocate for apologetics. For yourself, how did you get into apologetics and what did that do for you as regards to faith? Yeah, similar story to yours. I grew up in a Christian home. My, you know, I'm a preacher's kid. We were in church a lot, Caribbean parents. We were in church a lot growing up. And then feeling at a young age that I did have encounters with God, that, you know, I saw God answer the prayers of my family and church members, seeing God show up in powerful ways. And then as an adult in the world of work and everything, and then feeling like, do I just believe this because my parents believe it? Or, you know, and then you just start to have loads of questions. And I could do church quite well, but beneath that was lots and lots of questions and a desire. And Jesus talks about this when he's asked, you know, what's the greatest commandment of all? He says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. So I had grown up with this love of God, which was very much my soul, my spirit, you know, growing up in Pentecostalism, you know, worship, the movement of God, but also wanting to engage with God intellectually. And I'm not saying that Pentecostals don't, but I'm just saying that's where my kind of leaning was. You know, after you've had an experience in church and then, I don't know, you see the world suffering during a pandemic, what do you do? So having questions, I guess, in my 20s really started to raise that for me. Then I started to listen to sort of apologetics. This was back in the day, CDs, Barker, in my car. Well, it's artifacts, you say. <laughs> <laughs> Currently in museums around the world. So listen to CDs. And then I actually did a discipleship course um, by the C.S. Lewis Fellows Programme. And it had two tracks. One was discipleship, one was apologetics. And then every time we had an apologetics lecture, I was like, oh my gosh. I remember listening to the first lecture about the Bible, like why I trust the Bible. And I was like, I came out of the lecture angry, half angry, half pleased in that I was like, why didn't I know this? <laughs> you know, has this information been withheld from me almost? So following that discipleship course, I carried on with my career. And then things came to a head in 2017-18. And I left my teaching career and I, I trained in apologetics with OCCA, Oxford Centre for Christian Apologetics. So from there, that's how I got into it. And it really helped to deepen my faith, to help me weed out things that weren't helpful, to hold on to God. And I mean, I have, by no means have I, I answered all my questions and I, I probably won't do so on this side of heaven, but um, it's definitely been a real strength to my faith. It's fascinating that you said how it deepened your faith. And there has been in the past this odd aversion to apologetics within the Christian community. And I'm sure you've probably seen it in the UK as well, where we don't want to dig deeper because sometimes there are questions that are just difficult to answer. But I actually think that's okay because God is not this so simplistic that we can get him right away, nor is his wisdom so easy to grasp that we would be turned off by how simple he is. And then there are questions that we don't have all the information to. And so what apologetics does, I believe, and that's why I advocate for apologetics, it gives you the opportunity to use your faith in an intellectual way. However, the downside to that is, like you said earlier in the broadcast, is that it can be seen as combative. And I have seen people, even within the community of apologists, go head to head on various issues to the point where it turned you off 
and you're sitting there like you're more concerned about winning the argument than actually this person's soul that is in need of saving. That's what you're more worried about. And for me, that is what kind of, not necessarily turn me off of apologetics, but that's when I realized that there's a place for it. Yes. Yeah. But at the same time, your argument isn't going to replace the work of the Holy Spirit. No. Because you can lay out, like with evidential apologetics, for example, you can lay out facts. But facts can always be reinterpreted in the odd way. Like you could say, there is a rock, right? <laughs> There's a rock there. Are you sure about that? Yeah. And then, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I know it's a rock. Do you know it's a rock? And then you can have fights over that. So that's why you have to let the work of the Holy Spirit do his thing. And Paul talks about that. He says, you know, people are like, oh, I'm a Apollo, I'm a Paul, I'm a Cephas, I'm a Jesus. He said, uh, we're all in this together. We don't have to fight amongst each other. So I'm really glad that you brought that up. Now, leaving your teaching career, I assume that you enjoy teaching. But what was that catalyst that said, you know, I have to be more evangelistic with my life now? Yeah, as I said, I um, grew up in church. I was always very active in church. And yeah, as I said, I could do it. <laughs> Even if there was doubts bubbling underneath I could do church and then I think what happened was so I was a teacher I was one of the senior leaders at the school and it's not a nine to three job yeah it's, you could work very very long hours it just is a very stressful job which is fair enough but then also my dad became quite ill towards the end of 2017 and then he passed away at the beginning of 2018 and it was just a perfect storm and I was like time out <laughs> time out um if this is true, and obviously my dad representing a real kind of tower of strength in my Christian faith my entire life, then passing away, is this really what you want? Is this really true? And are you going to live by this? It, it kind of just brought everything into, all right, let's interrogate this, you know? So that was one of the main things. I understand how you feel. I was very close to my grandmother. I always tell people I had three parents, mom, dad, and granny. And my grandmother died in 2021. And the day she died, I had went up to the nursing home to see her because I had been seeing her, you know, during the pandemic and after they let loose some of the lockdown restrictions. And I had just went to see her that day and they wouldn't let us see her because someone had covid and because I couldn't see her, I remember telling the nurse who took care of her, I said, please let her know that I love her. She said, I would definitely do that. And then several hours later, daddy called me and said that grandma had passed away. And during that time, there was a rage against the Lord that I had. And the rage came from the fact that my grandmother had told us a couple of months earlier, she said, I want to live to be 100. And I was totally okay with that. She could live to be 150. I, mean, I won't complain, you know. And I said, okay, want to be 100? I'm fine with that. Lord, you've heard it, and there you go. And I've told people this, and I'd be very honest about it because it leads me to my next part of what we're going to be talking about. If I ever was going to walk away from the faith, that would have been the moment because you took away, quote, unquote, you took away someone I loved and I loved very deeply. And it was such a reality-altering experience. It was like the foundations of my world have been destroyed. And I can remember at the funeral, I heard the Lord speak directly to me. And as my mom and her sisters and her, my uncle were closing the casket, the Lord said, I gave her to you your entire life. And the mourning turned to joy. 
I, it was the most incredible feeling that the morning turned to joy and the anger I felt went away. Now, did I still miss her? Of course. You know, I used to talk to her all the time, but that had nothing to do with intellect. That had nothing to do with winning an argument. It was a moment of emotional pain. And at that moment, I don't want to hear scripture. I'm mad. The Lord <laughs> took my granny. That's how I'm thinking. You, know? you took my granny, you know, and the Lord was able to meet me there. And I, I can remember to this day hearing his voice in my head say, I gave her to you your entire life. And you don't know this, Claire, but what had happened, I used to share granny on my Facebook all the time. And it was not about clout, not about internet, whatever. It was just sharing granny. And when grandma died, so many people reached out to me and was like, I enjoyed your post about your grandmother. Another person said, I want to be a better grandparent just listening to you. And the other people were like, how come you're so close to your grandmother? And that's when I realized I was able to have a mature relationship with grandma that a lot of people don't have. See, because granny died when she was 90. She was going to be 91 a month before she passed away. And all that to say this, apologetics is good. And we're going to talk more about that in a second. But when you want to reach people for Christ, you have to do and let the Holy Spirit work in that person. What you can do is pray. What you can do is go to the Lord on that person's behalf. And there were people, oh my gosh, Claire, there are people praying for me after grandma, after grandma passed away, after the funeral, after everyone sends their thoughts and prayers and all that. There are people continuing to pray for me because it was so difficult at the time. And now in 2023, two years passed, uh, there are good days and there are bad days, you know? Yeah, yeah, it will sting. It's, it's going to sting. I mean, like you said, reality altering, okay? You know, the woman who has been there since the day I was born is gone, right? But the Lord is still good. And I knew Granny would love that. I knew Grandma would say, she would say, my dear, the Lord is still good. The Lord loves you. She would say all of that. So I hang on to those things. And what I'm really glad is I got Facebook. I have so many pictures of her, you know, <laughs> and good memories. So I say all that because we want to let people know apologetics is good. However, make sure that you are seeking the Lord in all that you do. Because even though he says, love the Lord, that God with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength, there's other parts to that too. Sometimes you got to use your heart. Sometimes you got to use your strength. You know, you can't be just, I'm going to pray for you. If you can lift that person off the ground and get them back into the chair, go ahead and do that. So that's what we want to talk about. Now, I want to shift the focus here because you talked about cultural apologetics. And one of the things, one of the biggest things about Christianity lately, particularly after the, here in America, the George Floyd uh, riot, that really exploded conversations about race, racial tensions, perceptions, uh, lots of stuff started happening. I mean, lots of stuff started happening. Everything that happened, in my opinion, it was a good thing because it opened the doors of a communication. I can remember people would never talk about it. They would just say, well, that's not me. But it's not, it opened up this interesting door of talking about racial tensions and realities. But then somehow, in my opinion, it got shifted to where it became like this weird catch all for everything that was happening. So I would love to get your perspective about apologetics and how it relates to race, mm -hmm. justice, and culture, and where you fit in in that equation. I too noticed this, the George Floyd murder that's resulting in this explosion of questions and discussions about race and justice and all things like that. And 
for me, and I've got a video about this on my website, it's called Is Christianity the White Man's Religion? And I talk about, you know, George Floyd protests and everything as a springboard into this question, jumping into the mainstream, shall we say. It did explode. The questions and, and discussions about race did, did explode because of that. But my point was that the questions about race, and have always bubbled away within the black community that I've been part of in the UK, always bubbled away. I've, you know, I've had Rastafarian friends speak to my dad when he was younger, you know, you're worshiping that white Jesus, you need to stop doing that. These questions are always bubbled away. But when you see in high definition, what happened to George Floyd, rage, it, like all, all the emotions will, will surface. And so I think then what, then what happened was, because I'm a literary artist the other day in a seminar I did, from um, that instance there, people were looking to see, you know, how is the church going to respond? And for a lot of people, and I can't, I can't, um, I'm obviously, I'm not in the US, but I have saw lots of trends on social media with this. A lot of people felt that perhaps the church and particular, particular branches of the church didn't respond to this well. And were saying, you know, we don't need to talk about race, get over it, woke this, woke that in a very disparaging, politicized way. And then it became this massive, added to the pandemic, this massive deconstruction project for a lot of people. Like, well, what do I believe? You know, if God is good, why is there suffering? Why is there a pandemic? Why is there, a, you know, the great Leviathan that we thought we'd killed, you know, in the civil rights movement or was still alive? Racism was looking at us in the face. So it was a very disorienting time. And so this question, which had always, as I said, bubbled away within black communities, just exploded and there we have sadly some of the I would say not helpful reaction of some Christians and Christian circles just fueled people's fire to say Do you know what Christianity isn't for me and you know you mentioned before Parker about apologetics isn't just about winning arguments it's about seeing the person I think what our culture has done has gone from asking whether Christianity is true or not then it, it, to now is asking well then it went to is it christianity even relevant but then now it is, is christianity even good is harmful so true relevant and now is it good and a lot for a lot of people christianity is harmful for all of the racial baggage that it brings with it um so my stance in all of this is to say that when we are asking questions about race justice etc etc First of all, why do we ask them? On what worldview does a fair society, does a tolerant society, on what worldview does, you know, treating each other well, regardless of our race, what worldview makes the most sense of that? Because I would argue that if God does not exist, it's very hard to ground that objective intuition that we have that we should treat each other well, regardless of our race. So kind of taking the question up a level to say, yeah, do you know what? I'm angry with you, but why? Why is this? Why are we angry? And then saying, how does it? Does this point to God or away from Him? For a lot of people, they've turned away from their faith because of what they've seen. But actually, does the anger itself and the desire for justice point to the living God, not away from Him? An interesting thing too about the race is it's something you can't control, like. I cannot control being African-American, then I can control the air I breathe. It's something I don't even think about, okay? It's nothing I can control. And with, like you said, you mentioned about some of the 
uh, historical baggage that has come in the name of God? And those are fair questions. See, that's the thing. I don't want to ever shy away from these difficult questions, right? But at the same time, we understand that everyone, and this is where I'm really big about individuality, everyone isn't thinking the same thing, okay? <laughs> and I think, how does the individual play in these type of topics? How does the individual play? Yes, that's what I said, yep. Yeah, so I think that, and this is where, why, why I would say I'm a cultural apologist rather than using sort of classical presuppositional models, whatever, because I okay. don't think they take necessarily into account this objection. Let's, let's just say, is Christianity the white man's religion? We've heard that question in numerous iterations online and people ask it, right? I'm not sure that those models I've just listed there deal with the question in the same way. So I know that for some individuals, it's like, do you know what? That hasn't been my experience. I don't feel threatened when I leave the house, whatever, and that's okay. But for me, as a cultural apologist, I might not even like whatever objection someone has, whether it's about suffering the Bible, whatever, yeah? But God isn't asking me whether I like the objection or not. He's asking me to address it. And I feel that, sadly, not all apologists take seriously this elephant in the room, which is the church's checkered history, its complicity, in the transatlantic slave trade and the list could go on. I, I think some, I, I haven't always seen that being taken seriously, often kind of dismissed as, oh, this is a woke thing. And, and it, again, that phrase is even problematic to use it in that pejorative way. So I think um, individuals can definitely say that they may not be affected by these things, absolutely. I, I, and I would, I, I can't, yeah, people can say what they, people can have their individual stance. But I think when, any group of people um, is saying something repeatedly over time, perhaps that warrants some investigation. And even if we don't like the objection, God isn't calling us to like the objection. God is calling us to answer uh, their questions and to meet them where they are. You reminded me of a gentleman who was a Native American, and he did a translation of the Bible in the Native American language. And I cannot remember the name of it. Lord, forgive me. I can't remember the name. <laughs> but one thing is that he talked about how, particularly in the U.S., and I'm sorry I'm coming from a, a United States perspective. <laughs> I'm very familiar with it. Okay. So he talks about how the U.S. government, what they did to the Native American tribes here. Okay. But however, he's still a Christian. And so people said, well, that didn't happen. That didn't happen to me. My, I did not do this to you. That's what a lot of the common objections is. I didn't do this to you. And so what he said, it's not that you're putting the thought on the individual, okay? What it is is that the nation has to take responsibility for it. So I got to thinking about this, and I thought about in the Old Testament with King David. <clears throat> and King David had asked, why was there a famine for three years, right? And the, he, he went to the prophet. The prophet said, Saul had killed these people. Mind you, David, he was around at the time. He didn't do it, but Saul did it. And all of a sudden, I started to understand something. Maybe this is the wrong way to say it. So, dear listener, if you disagree with me, it's okay. If I'm saying it wrong, you can always correct me. It was more so of a national problem. It wasn't a David problem. But Saul, who represented the kingdom of Israel at that time, had did this great harm to these people. Because God had upheld that covenant between that people, the Gerbershites, I think it is, and Jacob. And so that was a national thing that happened. And the Lord judged the nation for what they did. See what I'm saying? 
So that's why I was like, oh, there's a biblical evidence for this. And I had never thought about it before until I heard about that gentleman. Corporate sin. I mean, and people, I think I understand what you mean by individual now. Sorry, I was coming at it from a different angle. I think people object to the idea that what happened in the past with some individuals still has an impact today or they may well be implicated by it. And I think that is partly due to a very individualistic society in which we live now, which not all cultures do, do, do have. But corporate sin is all over the Bible and the consequences of that affecting people throughout generations is also evident in scripture. When you just read the book of Micah, love the book of Micah, and who, who does God call to, to repent? The leaders. It's the priests who are having bribes, you know, and the effect is that the, the widow, the orphan, and the poor are, con- are um, disadvantaged, and God calls the nations to repentance. Um, even Nehemiah chapter 5, I'm literally looking at it now, you see people who come out of oppression then oppressing each other. And Nehemiah calls them to hand out reparations. <laughs> yeah. So this stuff is in scripture. And for some reason, some people I come across don't like the fact that it's there or that, you know, it's slightly ignored when it comes to the, the notion that corporate sin exists. I think that's the better term. I, I've used that term before, but it was escaping me as I was trying to express myself in a very uneloquent way. But the whole thing about corporate sin, and that's what I think people miss. And it's not that I, you're blaming me personally for what happened, but you are part of the organization. You know, you're part of the, uh, however you say it. So that's what I was talking about. And I do believe that exists. And that's what this Native American gentleman was talking about. Reverend Charlie Dates has a really good summary of this kind of sin on, um, he did a, there's a video, a short video on Instagram by the Jude Free Project when he talks about sin, basically sins arise out of the individual human heart and those individual human hearts operate in groups and then in corporations and institutions and then those places become sinful. We, none of us like that. The idea, so the Bible, I don't think, the gospel does not tiptoe around, or it's not either or, okay, it's both and, that the individual has a sinful human heart, and out of the machinations of the sinful human heart come systems that are oppressive, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And just with Parker, when the Holy Spirit convicts me of my personal sin, and I don't like it, and I don't want to read scripture. Now, you were saying you didn't want to read scripture. You don't want to hear people telling you this and that when you were dealing with grief. When I'm convicted of sin by the Holy Spirit, I don't want to know. I resist it. Perhaps, as the scripture says, judgment must begin with the house of God. Perhaps when we hear our brothers and sisters saying to us, this sin from the past or even the present is still having an effect upon us, we don't like it. It's the same reaction that happens in the individual human heart when we're confronted with this but that's nothing but conviction of the holy spirit and maybe we're being called to repent but anyway let me i didn't come to preach no but you make it make a good point and dear listener if you disagree with us please know that's totally okay i will never sit down a dialogue because 
one thing I think that is a really bad thing is when people shut down conversations because you may come back and say, well, what about this? That may make me think, oh, you brought something new. So make sure if you disagree with something that we're saying, because I'm not saying I have a whole a handle, everything that I'm talking about. I'm going by what I heard and different things I'm pulling out of the air. So if you have a more structured argument, no problem. We love to hear it. I know Claire would love to hear it too. We'll have her information in the show notes below. So make sure you go ahead and contact her. And if you have any questions or anything, but you know, you recently got back from Poland, I know. And how was Poland? It was, it was good. I was actually got to see lots of, you know, ministry leaders and evangelists working to bring the gospel to, to Europe. And so that was, that was really good there as well. That's awesome. And so Claire, in a few moments we have left, what I would love for you to do is really speak to the people out there about the need for apologetics, first of all, but the need Mm -hmm. to be engaged in arguments, the need to use critical thinking skills, the need to not be uncomfortable with a question you don't like. (laughs) Okay. Let's talk to that. Yeah. So I think um, God has called us um, to be thinking, breathing, feeling people, the incarnation of Jesus, you know, uh, speaks to that. Um, He felt Jesus wept, you know, over Lazarus, but he also dialogued and debated with the the religious elite, you know, all the time. So he was showing us both of these things. We see that with the Apostle Paul in Acts 17, just a masterclass in engaging with questions and the culture that we live in. Um, So I would just encourage you to engage with apologetics. If you have questions or doubts that you, you're working through, those doubts don't disqualify you uh, and your faith. Actually, maybe God is calling you to wrestle through them so that you, you gain greater depth. Um, and I'd, I guess I would recommend the book. I mean, just think uh, for kind of a generic kind of look at some tough questions of faith, I would recommend Confronting Christianity, 12 Hard Questions for the World's Largest Religion, and that's by Rebecca McLaughlin. Um, really, really good book, actually. Uh, do, do check that out. Claire, thank you so much for being with us on the show today. I really enjoyed having you and having the conversation, and I cannot wait to have you back and have you back real soon. Thank you so much, Parker. And we were talking today to Claire Williams. She is a speaker and an apologist, particularly in cultural apologetics, and she wants to help you understand the connection between the Christian message, race, culture, and justice. Does this really get you going? We'll have her information below in the show links. We can go to her website and find out more about her. One thing I want you to know is that it's okay to have tough questions. Tough questions mean that you are evaluating what you believe about reality. And one thing I've said in the past, dear listener, is that God does stand up to scrutiny. He's been standing up to scrutiny for a millennia, okay? He's not going to shy away from your tough questions. If anything, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Do you want to have a deeper relationship with the Lord? Do you love him with all your heart and all your strength and all your soul, but you're a little lacking in the intellectual arguments? You don't have to be a rocket scientists to know how to defend the word of God and your faith. Go ahead, get involved in apologetics. No matter what your interests are, my interest in apologetics was creation versus evolution. That was my interest. But yours may be morality. Yours may be like Claire's, cultural apologetics. Yours may be uh, evidential apologetics. Whatever it is, whatever you are naturally drawn to, start there. And then she gave you some good books to read. You may have some more you want to check out. Go right ahead. Don't worry about being right. Just learn more about the Lord. 
Thank you so much for joining me for this edition of the Parker J. Cole Show. You have a wonderful, absolutely glorious blessed day, and God bless.